You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to www.heritagesc.org. Awesome, awesome. Well, it's such a privilege to get to be, uh, to get to share this morning and to share on the topic I get to share on um, because I love worship. I'm going to be talking about worship. So remember last week, uh, Peter started our series called These Gifts We Bring. And, uh, and I'll read the scripture from Matthew 2, 11. It says, uh, it's talking about the Magi. They see the star. They go, they go looking for the Savior. They know who's coming. And it says, and then going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him, then opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So last week, Peter talked about gold and, and how gold represents our wealth, our possessions, our things. And uh, the, these magi, they wanted to, um, they wanted to honor Jesus. They wanted to honor the Lord. They knew that, they, that he was their savior coming and they wanted to honor him. So they brought of their wealth and they brought it to a bay because it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, uh, you know, I love Trevor. I love his family, but I'm not going to bring you know, money over to, for, for his baby. I mean, he's got enough money already. Um, <clears throat> but, but it was a way for, these, for the Magi to honor um, the, the newborn king. And also included in that gift was frankincense. Next week, Mike's going to talk about myrrh. If you guys could pray for Mike, he's a little under the weather today, but Mike's going to talk about myrrh. I'm glad I got frankincense because, um, you know, I'm not going to make any Frankenstein jokes. Uh, that's Peter's foray. Um, but uh, frankincense is really, uh, it really indicates, um, and what we'll talk about this morning, it indicates a, um, a, a symbol of worship. Um, <clears throat> first of all, what is frankincense? So frankincense is actually, is actually made from a resin from a tree that only grows in the Arabian Peninsula. Um, they would tap this tree a couple of times a year. It was in that time, it was of extreme value. They say that, that that's what made the Arabian, the Arabian people the most wealthy of their time was their access to this resin that came from this tree that only existed in that area at the time. And so they would take this resin and from it they would make incense or what they're calling frankincense. Um, and you, you, you ask yourself the question, it's like, like, just like bringing gold to a baby. I mean, we usually bring clothes or, you know, like toys or diapers or things like that. You, you wonder why bring incense to a baby? You know, incense always reminds me of like the hippy-dippy 70s. My, my, uh, my older brothers and sisters would, you know, my sister would burn incense. Um, it, was, uh, it was, I don't know why they did that, but, um, uh, but why incense? Why frankincense? Because frankincense or incense is one of the ways that uh, God commanded us to worship. If you go all the way back to Exodus and you look at the, um, at the beginning and the temple and where God uh, was commanding them to set up the temple, and we know in the temple you had the inner court, the outer court, you had the, um, you had the, the holy place, and then you had the holy of holies. And that's where it was believed that the presence of God dwelt. And the priest, the chief priest, would go in once a year 
to worship the Lord, to give offerings and to worship the Lord. And that's where they believed that the presence of God actually dwelt. And so you look in Exodus chapter 30, verse 1, and it says, uh, this is the Lord commanding commanding, um, Aaron. He says, you shall make an offer on an altar on which to burn incense, you shall make it of acacia wood. And so he, uh, so he commands uh, Aaron to go in and to set up this altar just for the burning of incense. And the command was that they would, light the, they would burn the incense twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. And it was meant to be continually uh, bringing this aroma before the Lord. You know, you want, when you want to honor someone, you want to bless someone. So the question going around our house right now, and it's probably a very common uh, question that's going around your house right now, is what do you want for Christmas? So I, I, I always, uh, the joke in our house is, I tell my wife, well, if I wanted it, I already bought it. And she finds that very frustrating because I'm very difficult to buy for. Super picky, like I, you know, I, you know, like, so I'll just go buy it for myself. And then on Christmas morning, I'll say, you know, just don't get me anything. If she doesn't get me anything, I'm really upset. <laughs> because my love language is gift giving. I like to give gifts. I like to get gifts. And so, um, but that goes around our house. Uh, some of us are better than others. Uh, Carly's really good at telling you what she wants. If you'd like to know, I've got the, I've got the spreadsheet. Um, it's a, there's also a PowerPoint presentation that goes with it. Um, <clears throat> um, but that's kind of the question that goes around right now is, what do we want for Christmas? And so when we want it, when we ask, you know, like, okay, God, how do we honor you? How do we bless you? How do we love you? How do we, how do we express the depth of our love and appreciation for this God who's done everything for us? And I think, the, I think that, that um, fortunately, the Bible gives us lots of clues on how to do that, and including in the very beginning, he commands them to light this incense. And it isn't about lighting incense, but it's about worship. It's about uh, us coming and saying, God, I want to express my love for you. How do I do that? And so these magi came and they brought this, these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh because they were, they were establishing who Jesus was. It was established in Exodus. It was established in the beginning that how do you worship the Lord? You bring incense and you burn incense before the Lord. And now the Magi are coming and saying, okay, this is how we're, they're establishing, they're acknowledging, they're recognizing who Jesus is, and they're bringing incense, because that's what you do when you want to honor the Lord, you want to worship the Lord. And so here they are, and, um, and it's interesting, I remember when I was in high school, <clears throat> I had a friend, and we used to, uh, we would memorize scripture together. Um, I was, yeah, I was a good Christian boy in high school. And at one time I, <clears throat> I memorized a verse of scripture as almost kind of like a joke, but it, it stuck with me all these, I mean, we're high school, next year will be my 40th year high school reunion. Um, <clears throat> and I'm at the age where now I can't remember any of those people anyway, so I probably won't go. Um, but, uh, but this scripture, this, this verse was, and it's throughout the Old Testament, it says, an offering, giving by, an offering given by fire is an aroma pleasing to the Lord. 
So incense brings an aroma that's pleasing before the Lord, and it represents our worship to him. It represents how we are expressing ourselves and the fact that we want to come and honor him. And so what, um, the question I'm going to ask this morning is, what is worship? Because it can get kind of confusing. We're, we've been around a while. We, we, uh, we have a lot of different ideas around what, at, what worship actually is. For some people, they think worship is like a concert. You get the best musicians, you get the best, um, the best singer, you get the best songs, and they get up there and they put on almost like, you know, like Sunday morning's almost like a, a, a concert. And, and they have, we have the best worship leader in town, and it's amazing. And, I, and they even, people will even choose their church based upon the quality of the musicians up on the platform. Is that worship? Aspects of it can be like worship. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about is how do we, how how do we adequately express our love and appreciation for our Lord and Savior? So I I was thinking about what are the most kind of extravagant, dramatic, like meaningful uh, examples or illustrations in the Word of God about worship, and I uh, I thought of uh, in uh, John chapter 12, and I want us to look at this this morning. And then I want to kind of pick out some points of what I'm seeing there. And I want to maybe encourage us in the way that we approach worship and the way we, the way we conduct ourselves in worship, the way we, the way we uh, express ourselves in worship. And so I want to look at, in, uh, in John chapter 12, in verse 1, how Mary worshiped Jesus. This is not Mary's mother. This is Mary... Um, Mary, the, uh, well, she was a woman who was, you know, kind of one of the disciples, one of the followers. And uh, so it says, six days before the Passover, this is verse 1 of uh, John chapter 12, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for, them there, for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So here's Mary. You know, it's, you know she comes. She's got the, the jar of perfume. She wants to worship Jesus. She wants to, in some way, express the depth of her love the depth of her emotion, the depth of her, her value that she's placing on Jesus. Here he is. She knows who he is, and she wants to express that in some way, in some extravagant way. So she takes this jar of very expensive perfume or ointment, and she breaks it, and she anoints Jesus' feet with it. She anoints his body with it. You know, if it were next week and we were talking about myrrh, you could, you could you, this this portion of scripture would work very well. I asked Mike ahead of time, you're not planning on using this, are you? He said, no. So I thought, I'm going to take this because to me, I want to know, as a follower of Jesus, I want to know, how can I worship in a way that will please him? 
I don't want to worship in a way, I don't come to worship to say, hey man, I really want to get something out of worship. I think there's times that we will get things out of worship. I think that's normal. It's natural. It's a, an exchange. It's a communion. It's a relationship. It, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's, there's, a, there's something there, there's, there's something there in our relationship with Jesus and it's going to happen in worship. But I don't come to worship for what I can get. I come to worship because I want to bless the Lord. Like Paul says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So when I come to worship, I want to worship from a right perspective, from a right attitude, a right mindset. And so I just, as I've been thinking about and preparing preparing and praying, and I've kind of known I was going to be sharing this over the last week, I started like, like, sort of had to start thinking about what are my thoughts about worship? What is it, what is it to me? And this phrase has been ringing in my head all week. Worship is a response to beauty. Our worship is a response to the beauty of the Lord. When you think about the Magi bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh, their worship was a response to this beautiful baby. I mean, we saw the picture of Trevor's baby this morning, and our natural inclination is to do what? Ah, man, what a cute baby. What a sweet baby, and she looks just like a Cummings. She's, 19 inches is really long for a baby, isn't it? They don't really grow much from there. If they're, your kids don't, but I mean, that's a pretty long baby. Um, but there's this natural response to beauty. My wife and Margaret sit in the back, and you know, uh, you know, every, you know, we every every once in a while she'll say, "Hey, can we just go down to the beach and like watch the sunset?" And I'm kind of like a guy. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to. I've seen a sunset, you know. Like, what do I need to see another one? I've already seen it. And uh, but she just loves to go look at the sunset and just like stare. Like, well, it's just she'll just stare at it and she'll be like, you know, she'll want to get there at just the right time. And this is as a as the sky is going like orange and red and yellow and it, it's that thing and there's that, there's that sense of like awe that we get when we see something that's beautiful. When you're walking on the beach trail and you look out and you see dolphins in the water or, you're, or, you're, uh, or you see a baby or you see flowers and you see there's just that response of like we are, it's our natural inclination to worship beautiful things. And you realize that actually God created us that way, didn't he? Didn't God create us to worship? I mean, I know I've heard that before. But as I think about it, I think, you know, like, you know when God created man and woman, he didn't put them in like a, 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 in a, a, a lifeless desert. He didn't put them in the outer space. He didn't put them on a, a planet that had no, uh, nothing on it. Like, you know, like there's a lot of planets that just, there's nothing there. Where did God place man and woman? He placed them in a beautiful garden. He placed them in a, paris- a paradise. He placed them in a place where there would be, they would be surrounded by beauty all the time. And, and I think because of where we live and, you know, we have the ocean, but we, like, you know, the, the field is green today, but in about a week it's going to be brown again. And um, we, uh, but when, when I, I find myself, when I go to a place where there's a forest or there's a lot of greenery, 
I, uh, I find myself saying, man, it's just so beautiful. You drive up the coast, you drive through Big Sur, you go to Yosemite, or you go to one of those places, and there's just all this beauty around you. And there's something about it that just stirs worship within us. And so worship is a response to beauty. And our, and our worship should be at its core level, at its, at its base level, it should be a response to the beauty of our Lord. I was reminded this week as I was walking and praying and thinking about, uh, about this message, and I was reminded of this old song we used to sing, um, One Thing If I Desire to the Lord, that, would, that Will I Seek After, to Behold the Beauty, the Beauty of the Lord. Um, that's Psalm 27.4. It says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. When we come to the place of worship, and, you know, I want to be careful not to um, give you the impression that Sunday morning is our worship time. Sunday morning is our corporate worship time. Our worship time happens throughout the week. Hopefully, there's times through your week where you're, you're spending time just adoring the Lord. I remember many years ago, we used to have um, early morning prayer. We'd pray at 6 a.m., uh, five, six days a week. I've talked about that before. And we learned to pray, we prayed through the Lord's Prayer. And if you pray the Lord's Prayer, you'll realize that it starts and ends with worship. It says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, blessed be your name. <clears throat> so we start out. So our worship time isn't just what we do here on a Sunday morning. Hopefully that's not your worship time. Hopefully that's your corporate worship time. But your worship time happens in your bedroom, it happens in your car, it happens on a walk, it happens with your family, it happens in your community group, it's something that's happening all the time. We live a lifestyle of worship, of, of recognizing and, and acknowledging the beauty of the Lord. We do it when we look into nature and we say, man, what a beautiful green field that is. Lord, your creation's amazing, you're amazing that you created that. Our worship becomes a lifestyle. It becomes an overflow. It becomes an overflow of a relationship that's full of life and connection. So number one, worship is a, is, recognizes beauty. Secondly, the second thing I see in the story of Mary and her anointing Jesus with that very expensive perfume is worship is sacrificial or costly. Real worship costs you something. The Magi didn't come to Jesus at his birth and say, cool, you're cool. No, they brought expensive gifts. Mary brought an expensive gift. How many of you like getting gifts? Am I the only one? Do you guys like getting gifts? I mean, I like getting gifts. You know what getting a gift says to me? It says to me, you care about me. It says to me, I've, you're, you're, I'm valuable to you. It says to me that, you, that like you want to show me that I mean something to you. 
It's the same way with the Lord. When we come and we bring our worship, it is sacrificial or costly. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. We offer up a sacrifice. Now, we live in Southern California, and so this morning we have extreme weather. Anyone from somewhere other than Southern California? Anyone from like, you know, like the, the what is it, the, you know, like Wisconsin, Michigan, those places, like where it's like actually, there's actual weather there? I mean, I'm looking around, and I'm thinking there's probably about a third of the people missing this morning, and I have to think it's probably because of the rain. I mean, Peter did announce last week that I was preaching, so it could be that, but it's probably the rain, I hope. But it costs us something to come to the place of worship. It costs us to come to, worship, to corporate worship. It costs us to come to personal worship. We have to take our mind off of ourselves. We have to set aside time. We have to make a decision that we're going to worship him. It costs us something. It's much easier to receive than to give. But it's much more blessed to give than to receive, isn't it? So worship can be costly. It's sacrificial. We see it with Mary. We see it with um, Abraham and Isaac. He says, go and offer your son. And, and Abraham was ready to do that. We see it with David and Aranha. When, when uh, David goes and he wants, to, he wants to give offering, he wants to worship the Lord on this guy's threshing floor. And the guy says, hey, let me, let me just, he, he, and David says, I want to pay for your threshing floor and for the offering. And the guy says, no, let me just give it to you. And David's response is, um, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, he says, but the king said to Aranha, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God. That costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Our worship should cost us something. And now we get a lot out of it. We get, we get the pleasure of singing unto the Lord. We get the, all that stuff, but... But there is a sacrifice involved. And imagine the joy that it brings to the Lord's heart. Imagine you're not the kind of person that gets up and has a worship time in your, in your uh, living room by yourself or in the, go, you go into a bedroom by yourself or you go out in you know, the car and just say, I'm just going to worship the Lord. And Imagine you've never done that. And then tomorrow morning you say, okay, I'm going to do that. Can you imagine what that would mean to the Lord? Imagine you're a, a wife and you have a husband who never brings you flowers. You don't bring me flowers. I'm dating myself. So imagine you're that wife who never gets flowers. Imagine you're that husband who never gets a fresh uh, home-cooked meal. You're just, you're the, you know, you always get like a, a TV dinner. Remember the TV dinners? And tomorrow, all of a sudden, you get a bouquet of roses. And it's like, oh my gosh, 
What did you do wrong? No. Um, oh my gosh. Imagine how much. What would that, how would that feel for you? Would it feel special? Would it feel like, you know, and if, if flowers aren't your thing, diamonds or whatever your thing is? Imagine how that would feel if, like, you'd never gotten it, and all of a sudden you got it. Or you hadn't gotten it in a long time, and all of a sudden you got it. Would that be, would that be amazing? Would that be awesome? Would that be wonderful? Would that be, make you feel something, something special? Now imagine you're the Lord, and uh, you, haven't, you, haven't just, you just haven't taken time with him recently. To tell him, man, Lord, I love you. Man, Lord, you are amazing. Man, Lord, you're glorious. Man, look at, your, look at this mountain you made, Lord. Who could make a mountain like that? Imagine what that does to the heart of the Lord. Imagine you're, you come in on Sundays and you've got your coffee and you're distracted and you're thinking about the, the football later on or you're, you've got problems and, and you're just distracted the whole time and that's kind of your MO. And, and then one Sunday you say, you know what, I'm not going to think about anything else. I'm just going to worship you. Our sacrifice means something to him. And you know, he showed us because he sacrificed first. Thirdly, worship requires humility. Um, David danced in his undies before the Lord. Think about that. Think about if our worship time, this next Sunday, we say, okay, next Sunday what we're going to do for worship, it's going to be kind of a special Sunday. We're just all going to get down to our underwear and we're going to dance before the Lord. Who's coming next week? Yeah, Jeremy, you just want to see everybody in their underwear. Most of us are going to say there's no way because that would be so embarrassing. But David said, man, in 2 Samuel 6, 22, he said, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will be abased. I will be even more undignified than this. His wife is saying, what a fool you are. What an embarrassment you are. What a, uh, what a like you're supposed to be the king and you're out there dancing in your underwear. Uh, you know, what an idiot. And David says, I'll, I'll be even more undignified than this. I'll do whatever. I don't care. I don't care what you think about me. I often say the thing I liked about turning 40, and that was a long time ago now, the thing I liked about turning 40 is I realized I didn't care as much what people thought about me. So those of you who are not 40 yet, you can you know, look forward to that. All of a sudden you realize when you're about, about that age, people aren't that interested in you. They're not as interested in you as you think. I used to go swim with my friend Scott, and we'd go to the public pool, and we'd wear those like, you know, kind of speedoy type things, and and uh, he'd be a little embarrassed, and, and, I, and I, 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 we're a couple of middle-aged fat guys. Nobody's looking at us. <laughs> Nobody cares what you look like. And David's saying, I don't care what those people think. There's only one person I care about. There's only one person I'm here to please, and that's the Lord. And too often we get ourselves caught up in our pride, our ego, thinking that people are looking at you. You realize that nobody is looking at you. Hopefully they're focused on the Lord. 
So when we come to worship, there's a lot of times that we'll, you know, we'll say, hey, we're going to worship now, and we want to encourage you to come forward. Why do we ask people to do that? Pretty good question, right? I mean, I'm, I, I wonder if some of you have been thinking, like, why do they want people to come forward during worship? Like, you know, they, we didn't do that in my old church, and most of the churches don't do that. You know, like, you, don't, like, you know, that doesn't make any sense. And the reality is, there's something about stepping out of your little safe spot where no one can see you and no, one can, no one's looking at you and no one can judge you and yada, yada, yada. There's something about the humility of saying, man, I don't care what any of you people think about me. I'm getting up to the front because I, like, I want the Lord to know. I want the Lord to know that, man, I'm in this, all in it. I'm all in it. There's nothing, there's nothing I care about more than him. You know, the interesting thing is that that picture of David dancing in his underwear, what do we know, uh, how do, what do we know David as? What's his primary characteristic? What's, the, what's one of the things they really talk about? He's a worshiper. He's known for being a worshiper. In fact, when Saul was, was uh, tormented, they would have David come in before, you know, Saul, before when Saul was king and David wasn't king. David would come in and he'd play instruments to soothe Saul because he had a worship gift, a worship anointing. And we, have often, we probably often have experienced that. We're in a small setting. We're in a community group. And someone gets, it, someone gets that guitar and they start playing. And all of a sudden there's an anointing that, that, um, that comes. And it's like, wow, something feels different in the atmosphere. David was known for being a worshiper. And that's how he worshiped the Lord. Do you want to be known as a worshiper? It might require, it may require you stepping in and, and you just humbling yourself. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're in the living room, you want to worship, you know, maybe you get your family together, but you don't have the best voice. Or you, you know, like, and man, I don't care if I've got the best voice. He thinks I've got the best voice. He made my voice. Worship requires us humbling ourselves and remembering and reminding ourselves of who worship is about. So we come, to, we come to corporate worship on a Sunday morning and they're singing a song that we don't love and it's like, man, I don't love that song, so uh, it doesn't matter what you love. What does he love? We humble ourselves um, I'm going to go a little faster. Um, worship should have some level of extravagance to it. And for us, maybe the extravagant thing is just getting out of that seat and coming up front, or maybe the extravagant thing for you is just like getting in your car and turning up some worship music and singing at the top of your lungs. It should have some level of extravagance in it because God's extravagant in, he, in, the, in how he has blessed us and how he has uh, um, how he has loved us. It says in um, Romans chapter 5, it says, For while we were yet, we're still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God showed his love for us while we are still sinners. God showed, God showed his extravagant love for us 
while we're yet sinners. How much more so should we be showing our extravagant love for a perfect, righteous, sinless God? If he could show his love to us imperfect, messed up people, our our worship should be like, we should be tearing the roof off this place. We should be like all those weirdos that run around with flags. Remember, the, I mean, have you guys have been in a church where they run around with flags or they dance or they stage dive? <clears throat> stage diving is a pretty extravagant example of, man, God, I don't care. I'm just, and it's probably not even close. Probably not, that probably doesn't even scratch the surface. But, man, it's closer. And then finally, worship is pure, and I'm going to end pretty quickly so we can worship. Um, You know, Mary brought a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Pure things are worth more. Think about it. Pure gold is worth more. And our, our, uh, our, uh, you know, gold is worth more when it's pure. Oil is worth more when it's pure. Love is worth more when it's pure. We're called to worship him in spirit and truth. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The word worship is a, is a the Greek word is proskuneo, and it basically means kind of like to kiss the hand, to fawn, to crouch, to, to prostrate oneself. It's like this thing of like, you know, like, you know, like when the guy's really in love, what does he do? gets down on one knee. He prostrates himself. He says, man, I, I love you so much. I'm just going to like make my, I'm just going to like, I'm going to kneel before you. That's what, that's what worship is like. For, it's like that thing of like, man, I just want to bring it as pure as I can, as humble as I can, as sacrificial as I can. It's kind of the opposite of, hey, what can you do for me? Man, I'm gonna go to, I need to go worship because I need to be like, I need to get something. Our worship should be, man, I've come to give. Man, Lord, I've come to worship you. I've come to adore you. We should be walking through the door having already spent time expressing our love to him. We should be, we should be spending time in his presence before we come together for corporate worship so we can express our love so our heart can be in the right place so that when we come to worship him, we can really worship him in a way that will bring joy and pleasure and life and glory to him who is so worthy of glory. I think what we... I think, uh, you know, we're, we're increasingly living in a confusing world. I mean, think about it. Politics, confusing. Like, even this week, I'm not going to get into politics, but this week, basketball player, merchant of death. That's a good trade, right? Confusing. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Gender politics, don't understand it. Men are having, men look like women, women look like men. Confusing. The, the world is like, the, the economy is like scary. 
I mean, imagine our kids, our grandkids, and what kind of world they're growing up in. <clears throat> in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, but understand this, that in the last days, this isn't going to be up there, but in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. I mean, it sounds like our, sounds like our, like, our culture. It sounds a lot like our culture. It's this it's now, it's more important than ever for us to be able to get to that place of like, man, God, I don't know what is going on in the world around me. I just got to get to you. I don't care how, how hard, the, how bad things look, how difficult things are. I don't care about what you're going through right now. And may, many of us could be going through really difficult, difficult things. There's one place where we can go and find the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Man, in difficult times, isn't that what we need? We need peace. We come to that place of worship. We say, God, can I get the worship team to come back up? We say, God, I don't know what's going on around me. I don't know what the answers are. I don't know, I don't know what the best thing to do is. But I know that you do. And I know that, that you know, my worship probably not going to change anything out around me. But I absolutely know it's going to change something in me. It's going to shift my focus onto you. And I really feel like, I really feel like God wants us to be a community of like radical worshipers. I really believe God wants us to be people that... Um, that like David, they're going to look, look at us and say, man, look at those weirdos. Look at those guys. Like, they're just, they're out of control. They're on fire. I mean, like, I feel like that's what God, that's what God has for us. I, I, and I really believe that once we can, that when we get there, that when we get there, it's going to change everything. I'm going to ask you, can we stand And I'm going to just quickly pray, and then we're going to go back into worship. And if you want to come forward, you can come forward. If you don't want to come forward, you don't have to come forward. But I would encourage you to. And can we just for a few minutes, we've got maybe 10 minutes left, maybe for 10 minutes, just say, okay, I'm not going to think about lunch. I'm not going to think about Christmas. I'm not going to think about my problems. I'm just going to focus on the beauty of Jesus. I'm just going to bring him my offering this morning and worship him. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you're beautiful, <clears throat> that, you're, that your beauty far exceeds anything and everything. Lord, let us bring our worship to you in a way that brings pleasure to you and joy to you. Or that we can express ourselves rightly in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to www.heritagesc.org.
www.ghostbusters.org.